God. As the music plays now, friends, let us prepare our hearts to worship him. saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear our God call us to worship him from Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Let us now sing the doxology. Our God, not to us, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. We thank you, Father, for the great privilege we have as your people to set aside our thoughts about our weekly activities, our thoughts about all that we are engaged in in this dark age, and to focus upon the grace and mercy that you have revealed to us in the gospel. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would stir graces inside of us that we might Draw close, we might draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might see his glory and delight in him and be changed uh, by his beauty and his perfections. We pray, Father, that you would do this good work in your people, for we pray this all in the mighty name of one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 136, O oh, thank the Lord, for he is good. Uh, Psalm 136, and we will sing the first three stanzas only this time around. One
I'd like to invite you now to turn to the front of your Trinity hymnal on page Roman numeral 16. There you will find a list of the Ten Commandments. On page Roman numeral 16 of your Trinity hymnal, you will see the list of the Ten Commandments which we will recite together. Uh, out loud. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that happened because he suffered the curse that was due to us for breaking God's law, for breaking the Ten Commandments. And so, beloved, let us keep that in mind as we read the Ten Commandments together, that we might be spurred on to a greater appreciation and love for what Christ has done. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Beloved, having heard God's law, now let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is listed in the insert in your bulletin. Out of the depths we cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear our voice. Let your ears be attentive to our pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. More than watchmen for the morning, our souls wait for the Lord. For we have rebelled against your holy commandments. Like lost sheep, we all have gone astray. Our flesh evermore contends against the Spirit. We fall short of your glory. We are worthy of your wrath. 
But with you, O Lord, there is steadfast love. With you, there is full redemption. Redeem us, O Lord, from all our iniquities. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Beloved, as the prayer says, with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is full redemption. He is merciful and gracious to all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches us that our sins have been forgiven, and God gives us rock-solid assurance this is true in his holy scriptures that we see in Revelation chapter 1. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you would now turn back in your hymnals to Psalm 136, so thank the Lord for he is good, Psalm 136, and we'll sing stanzas four through six. And let's all stand together as we do so. like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we return to our series in the mornings through the book of Philippians by looking at the second half of the Christ hymn, which is uh, listed in verses uh, 6 through 11. A couple of weeks ago we looked at Christ's humiliation in the first half of the hymn. Today we are going to look at what this hymn says about Christ's exaltation in verses 9 through 11. And so this morning we will focus on verses 9 through 11, but I would like to begin the reading in in, uh, verse 5. 
So Philippians chapter 1, or chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning in uh, verse 5, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father in God, we give thanks to you for your love endures forever. Indeed, you are enthroned on high, and we praise you and thank you, O God, that you have come down to us in the person of your Son, and you have revealed yourself to us through his work, through his words, and you have given us knowledge of yourself by giving us faith and uniting us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is at your right hand. And we recognize this morning, Father, that Jesus continues to speak to us from heaven through his word. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear the voice of our Savior speaking through Holy Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 5. Beloved, this is uh, the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. The second half of this Christ hymn begins with the word, therefore, therefore, in verse 9, God has done something. And this word is followed by two actions, and the two actions are performed by God. God is the one who performs these actions. Therefore, God has done something. God has done what? He has exalted and bestowed. And so then we are now looking at what God has done with his son, Jesus Christ, in this half of the hymn. In light of what his son has done, which was revealed in the first half, we are now looking at what the father has done with his son as a response to his humiliation in the first half of this hymn. And what did he do in the first half? Well, we saw that Jesus though being equal with God, did not count equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't use his status, his position selfishly. He did not act selfishly. Instead, he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, became man, and in humility, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him something. He has given to him something. He has granted him something. And so then it is here that we start back up. We start back up to the highest place imaginable, the place of divine honor. Remember, this is where we began in this hymn. We started at equality with God, the, pl- the highest place imaginable, equality with God, being God. That is Jesus. He's the Son of God. And from there, we started downward into humanity, into suffering and obedience as a man, down, 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 all the way down to the darkest 
and lowest, most humiliating place imaginable, death on a cross. That is where we traveled a couple of weeks ago when we first looked at this hymn. Crucified. Jesus crucified and therefore cursed by God. There is no lower place. This was how far Jesus descended, how far he lowered himself. And why did he do this? Because he had our spiritual needs in mind. He considered our needs as more significant than his own life, and therefore he was crucified for us. But the hymn, as beautiful as that, that truth is, the hymn doesn't stop there. The hymn doesn't stop there because the experience and the work of Christ did not stop with his death and burial. And so we start to move back up. If the work of Christ, if his experience did stop with his death, with his burial, then as the Apostle Paul said, we as believers in Christ are the most to be pitied. Because we live, or we believe in a Messiah who is still dead. This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And of course, Paul goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so that's not true. He was combating a heresy about the resurrection of Christ, but Christ has been raised And so we are not in our sins. And this is what we are looking at, the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. And so that was the course of Christ's experience in history. And so now we follow that course in this hymn. Verses 9 through 11 reveal the vindication of Jesus the Christ. Whereas many would consider, perhaps still many consider in, in Jesus' day, this is how they considered him, many would consider A Messiah, naked, humiliated, hanging on a cross by nails that had been driven into his hands and his feet. They would consider that a person such as that as someone who either deserved what they got or was not who they claimed to be. That is how the Jews regarded him. That is why people still today regard Jesus as not what he claims to be as the Son of God. His powerful resurrection on the third day, though, friends, it, proves, it proved and it proves otherwise. Or as Paul says in Romans, again, he says in Romans 1, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, and this by his resurrection from the dead. And so then verses 9 through 11, they reveal the Father's response to all that the Son performed on earth as the Messiah of God. His response to what Jesus did as the only redeemer of God's elect. That is what these verses uh, deal with. Because of Christ's full submission to the Father's will, the Father has fully vindicated his Son. And he has done this by raising him from the dead and exalting him. That is what we are looking at here. In other words, Jesus did not exalt himself. This is not to say that Jesus was not involved in his own resurrection. He was. We know this from Scripture. In fact, he said at one point, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. He has that power because he is God. He is the Son of God. And so he can say things like that and mean them because he is equal with God, as we saw in the first half of the hymn. But as the Christ... As the Messiah, as our mediator, 
Jesus did not conduct his ministry and attain exaltation by acting selfishly. That is a lesson I hope we learn from this second half of the hymn. He humbled himself and therefore another exalted him, namely his father. Jesus did not exalt himself. He did not come to earth to exert his authority and to use his giftings upon people to lower them, to empty them, which he could have done. He didn't do that. He emptied himself. He lowered himself for others. And therefore, God has exalted him. He's placed him in the highest place possible at God's right hand. Jesus was not after the praise of men, as, for example, the Roman emperors were in the days that this letter was written. If you remember back at the beginning, we mentioned that Philippi was a Roman colony. And so these Christians were living in a Roman colony filled with Roman culture under the authority of a Roman emperor. Earthly kings like Caesar, like Roman emperors, and still even earthly leaders today, they wanted to be called Lord. They wanted to be worshipped as gods on earth, as some types of divine figures that had been manifested in the flesh. That is what Caesar wanted to be worshipped as, as a god. They exalted themselves. They did the exact opposite of what Jesus did. They did use their power to attain exaltation for themselves. What did Jesus do in comparison to them? He emptied himself. And he let another exalt him. He let another raise him at the appointed time. And this is what God has done. He exalted his son. And so we also see here that his father granted him a name. So the father has exalted him. He's raised Jesus. He has exalted his son to divine status and honor. And he's also given him a name. Now in the Old Testament, the names of God were to be revered. They were to be revered and worshipped. Because the names of God revealed something of the character of God. The names of God revealed something of his essence, something of his glory as God. So, so for example, God gives his people the name Yahweh, which means I am, which refers to his eternal existence. He was and is and always will be. And so it's not just an arbitrary name. Yahweh refers to to his deity, his glory as God. He is also called God Almighty in the scriptures. He is also called the Lord. We see here that he is referred to as God the Father. All of these names reveal something of his character, of his glory as God, and something of his relationship to his people. And so, for example, we have psalmists singing to God like this in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Or Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be, or to your name give glory. Because the name reveals the person. And so the names mean something. The names of God mean something. For the the Philippians who are hearing this letter, the name Caesar at this time was to be held in high honor anytime You would hear that name. You were to revere it, honor it, because it was the name of the highest earthly power at the time. He was emperor 
and leader of the mightiest empire in the world at that time. And so the citizens of the city were to honor that name. But this name, spoken of here in this hymn, is higher than that name. He is, Jesus has been given the name above all names, above that name, above the names of kings and emperors, even. The name, he is the name above all names. That is the name that he has been given, whether in heaven or on earth. Now, what is that name? He's been given a name, but what is the name that the Messiah has been given? Well, it appears from this hymn that this name is Jesus. God bestowed on him the name that is above every name, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But we also see here that Jesus is called Lord. And so he's been given the name Lord to the glory of God the Father, verse 11, so that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We might think about how this all fits together You might think in other parts of Scripture where the name Lord and Jesus are all used together at the same time. For example, in the book of Acts, in chapter 19, the Ephesian believers there in that section, we are told, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the name is Jesus, but he is also the Lord. This is the name that God's Son has received. Now, It's not as though Christ received this name only after his death. It's not as though he became Jesus at his resurrection. He was named Jesus at his birth. And he was named Jesus precisely because he would save his people from their sins. And that's what the name Jesus essentially means, is Savior or the Lord saves. It's it's the Greek version of the name Joshua, which means that. And so it doesn't, it, this doesn't mean that Jesus received his name after the resurrection. He was named Jesus at birth. He was the Savior at birth. Nor does this mean that there was a pool of proper names that God chose from. And he looked at Jesus and he thought that was the best name to give his son. That is not the case either. If this was so, then every person named Jesus or Joshua would receive the same honor that's talked about here. And of course, that is not the case. What, is, what this name refers to, Jesus has the name that, that is above every name. What this refers to is that the name is the name Jesus as it is used in reference to the Christ, the Christ of this hymn. That is who is being referred to here. This Christ who was obedient to the point of death on a cross, the Jesus of Holy Scripture, He has been given the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. There is only one Jesus who can claim what is listed here in this hymn. Equality with God. Suffering, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as the God-man. Being exalted to the highest place imaginable, the right hand of God. Of God, There's only one person who can claim these things, and that is this Jesus. At the name of this Jesus, the Christ of Holy Scripture, every knee will bow. This is that person. This is that name. In verses 10 through 11, and so we see that God has exalted Jesus. He's given him the name above every, names, above every name. And then in verses 10 through 11, 
the hymn begins to explain the kind of effect that Jesus, Jesus' exaltation has and will have on people and all of creation. Verse 10, Jesus has been exalted, he has been given a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, as we look at these words here, this could be a reference to the totality of creation. Right? We read this every week, something like this in the, in the Ten Commandments. When you see a reference to heaven and earth and all that is under the earth and all the creatures and the sea and everything, it's a, when you hear those words, it's usually a reference, as we saw in Revelation 5, uh, it's usually a reference to the totality of creation. All of heaven and earth bring glory to the Son, Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the creator and the sustainer of all of these things. And so he deserves the praise. He deserves the honor and the glory from all that we see in the world. All the beauty, the, the glory of the animals, of the stars and the sky, whatever it may be. All of it, it brings glory to Jesus Christ because he is Lord. We see this kind of honor and praise coming from all of creation towards Jesus Christ, which we just said in our call to worship in the book of Revelation. There Jesus is spoken of as the Lamb, and John sees a vision, and he says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so we could look at these words in this hymn, and think that it refers to all of creation, the totality of the created things in this world. They all uh, bring glory to Christ. They, in a, in a sense, bow the knee to him. And I don't think that would be entirely wrong to think that way. But I think perhaps within this context, and for other reasons, which I'm about to name, the focus here seems to be on men. The effect of Christ's exaltation on people. What will that be like? What is that like now? And what will, is that going to be like? The focus seems to be on all men living or dead. First, there is a reference. Why do I believe this? Well, first, there's a reference to knees bending and tongues confessing. This is a human, these are human actions. Also, this hymn comes within the context of Paul exhorting the Philippians to show humility towards one another. Right before this, he's telling the church, be, show humility to one another for the sake of unity. Consider others as more significant than yourselves. And he follows this up with the Christ hymn. So I think the focus that gives us, that leans us in the direction of that the focus here is towards what Christ's exaltation is in regard to men. The last thing is this, verse 10 through 11 is virtually quoting a passage from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 45, God declares through his prophet his own uniqueness as the one true living God and the only savior of men. God doesn't save trees and animals. He doesn't atone for the sins of animals and trees and all the other things that are not made in his image. He, Christ died for men and women and children. And so God declares there in Isaiah 45, he is the savior of men, the only savior of men. Listen to these words, verse 22. This is from Isaiah. Turn to me and be saved, men, 
all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. In other words, this hymn in Philippians declares by these words that Jesus is this God. He is the God of Isaiah 45. Come to me, men and women from all over the earth, and be saved in the one Savior, in the one God of all of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ is this Lord, and there is no other. Now, with this in mind, many of us, some of us, the church, and out of all the people in the world, the church will joyfully, freely, and cheerfully with love in our hearts, bow our knees before the Father in humility. We will serve him because we love him. We will confess with our tongues that he is Lord and he is our Lord. His supremacy over others, though, will be involuntarily forced to be recognized. His lordship will be recognized against their will in some sense, whether in this age or in the age to come. This Jesus who died on a cross and whose body was under the earth for a time will come again. He will raise all the dead from the ground. He will gather his elect in resurrected bodies to be with him forever. It is us, the church, the elect, who will freely and joyfully submit to him and bow the knee to his lordship. And we do that even now. We confess his name. And then Jesus will judge all the rest. And so what we learn from these verses then is that the exaltation of Jesus to the highest honor possible, Jesus Christ is Lord, will touch and have an effect on every single person who has ever lived. Whether they are living now, whether they have already died, whether they will live and die in the future, his exaltation will have an effect on every single person person, every single individual who has ever lived in the history of all of creation. Kings, queens, princes, princesses, earthly lords, presidents, the rich, the poor, the slave, the free. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you ended up in this world. His exaltation will touch upon you in some way. It will have an effect on your life and it will have an effect on your eternal life, your eternal destination. Now, friends, this recognition of Christ's lordship is not merely reserved for the future. The Philippians, nearly 2,000 years ago, were already honoring Christ as Lord, and we do the same today with our words and our actions. But there is a time coming when Christ's lordship will be made public in the fullest sense of the term. When Jesus comes again, the second time, literally every knee will bow before him in one way or another. Now this is happening already, and this glorification of the Son will be fully complete on the last day, all to the glory of God the Father, as we see in verse 11, and all to the glory and honor of Jesus, who receives as Lord the same glory and honor that his Father received. This will all redound to the glory of the Father and the Son. And so this is what is... Referred to here, and this is what is taught in this hymn. Christ will be exalted, and so shall his people. All others will recognize his lordship in another way. Now, as we think about these things, Christ's divinity, 
He is Lord here, clearly. Christ's divinity does not contradict the confession of the Old Testament saints that God is one. You might think of Deuteronomy 6. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you think about the confession here. Jesus Christ is Lord. These two statements from both Testaments are in full agreement with each other. In fact, they fill each other out. God is one and Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this is incredible, friends, as we think about all that we've learned in this this hymn. To travel in this hymn from the dark depths of crucifixion to the highest elevation imaginable. Death on a cross. Now we are back up to lordship. Divine honor and glory. It's beautiful to say the least. This is why I remarked earlier that this hymn casts its light upon all of this letter. But what does this mean for us? What did this mean for the Philippians? Well, in a nutshell, this confirms Christ's own words when he says to the church, humble yourselves and you will be exalted. Now, as we think about these words, no believer will ever become Lord. We will not attain to the status that Jesus has attained here. That dignity and honor is reserved for him alone. But we will share in the resurrection. We will share in his exaltation. We will reign with him at the end. No matter how far we are brought low in this world, in this dark age, he will exalt us at the end when he comes again. But until that day comes, we look forward to that day, our exaltation in Christ. It's guaranteed from these words. But until that day comes, how are we we to regard one another? That's what we're dealing with, really, when we look at this hymn. Paul was saying, have this mind among yourselves. He's speaking to the church. This is how you are to behave and to act. This isn't just information, theology that you can wonder at. This is to have an impact on the way we live with one another. And so how are we to regard one another? We are to lower ourselves before others. Make ourselves go down, as Jesus did, and then down some more. Lower ourselves so that others might be exalted. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others as Christ did, as this exalted Christ did. There is a final resurrection and exaltation for believers in Christ when he comes again. We will reign with him, as we have said. But think about this, friends. Should we not expect something of the principle, humble yourselves and you will be exalted, something of what happened with Christ, shouldn't we expect evidence of that principle be manifested today, even among us. I think so. Think about this. What might this look like? Well, a husband who lowers himself for his wife and children, who thinks not only to his own interests, but to their interests as well. For the most part, in a Christian household, how will the wife and children respond? They will respond with humility, the same type of humility, with love and showing him honor and dignity as their father, as a loving father. Similarly, a wife who serves her husband and children in humility does nothing from selfish ambition. If God is at work in this family, in this couple, in whatever relationship it is, 
If God is at work in them, will they not respond to her humility with the same type of humility? Will they not give her the honor and the dignity that she deserves as a loving, faithful wife and mother? They will. They should. It's the same in all of our relationships, or should be the same. Is that not some form of exaltation? It is. Is that not some form of exaltation? I think it is. And of course, we can apply this to all relationships in the church. The path, therefore, friends, to God-glorifying exaltation is God-glorifying humiliation. That is a lesson we should learn from this wonderful song. Now, with all of that said, Christians, you know, we, we shouldn't humble ourselves for others only to get what we want from them. It's not as though well, I'm going to do this and I better get the return on what, what I'm doing here. That's actually not true love. That's manipulation. Um, that is not biblical love. It's really just another form of selfishness if that's how we act. No, Christians humble ourselves. We lower ourselves for others, even sometimes before hostile opposition. Why? In order to glorify God. Verse 11, to the glory of God the Father to magnify Jesus Christ in our bodies, whether in life or by death. That's the reason why we should be doing these things with one another. We should do this, in other words, whether or not the other people we serve show humility and respond in the same way. How did the world respond to Christ's humility? Well, they killed him. Death on a cross is verse 8. And so... We might be humble, but we won't always be treated by those in the world, those especially who are opposed to the gospel, with the same sort of love. But God exalted Jesus. And so we as believers in Christ, with the mind of Christ, we are to learn from Jesus. It is in the humiliation and exaltation of Christ that the love and the compassion and the grace of God is manifested to all. And we, as his people, are to show the same type of compassion and grace and love to one another, to the glory of God the Father. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forever. Let's pray, friends. Our Father and our God, we praise you, we glorify you, we give you all the praise and honor and glory that you deserve. We thank you, Father, for your compassion and your love revealed to us in the death and the exaltation of your Son. We pray, Father, that Uh, you would instill in us the same mind of Christ, that we would have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, that we would lower ourselves for one another and wait upon our exaltation at the appointed time. Father, we pray that you would do this good work in your people to the praise of your glory. Father, we pray now for the nations of the world and for our nation. We pray for all those who are in high positions, who have been given exalted statuses as presidents and kings. We pray that you would be merciful to them and bless them. We pray, Father, that you would be with the church that suffers and is humiliated in places that are hostile to the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would remind them of their uh, exalted status in Christ and their exalted status to come when Jesus returns. Father, we pray for our missionaries whom you've sent out into the world. We pray that they, as they lower themselves for... uh, others in the church and for uh, the elect in the world, we pray, Father, that you would give them strength and raise them up um, in accordance with your will. 
Father, in this regard, we pray for the verdicts in Uganda, that you would mightily bless them. Father, we pray for the work of uh, home missions in this region. We thank you for church plants and those who serve in this capacity. We lift up to you our beloved brother, uh, Reverend Sumter, and the labors that he performs as our regional home missionary for our church plants and the leaders and the members there. Father, bless them all, and we pray that your grace would be sufficient for all those who uh, bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in this region. Father, we pray for the needs of our church. We thank you for providence for all of our members and families. We pray, Father, that you would especially be with those who are suffering in body and soul and mind. We pray that you would lift them up, wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father, in this regard, we think of, of those who faith, face cancer as we pray for Arlene Rogers, Jim Witt, William Scott, and John Burleson. We also lift up to the elderly among us, Eileen, Dorothy, Kay, Joyce, Jean, Hal, Alan, Cornelia, Hikari, Rosalie, Iona. We pray for uh, those who have health issues as we pray for Claire and Diane. We lift up to you the Easter Days friend, Dave, and we pray for Jerry and Kyle uh, Nielsen. We lift up to you the Akorafor family as they search for a home, and we uh, pray that you would be with those who grieve over the loss of loved ones. We pray for the Doobies and the Milams. Father, hold their tears in your bottle. Uh, remind them of their exalted status to come in Jesus Christ. Father, we lift up to you um, uh, those, our expectant mothers. We pray for Emerald Contour. We thank you for uh, the arrival of Autumn Broccolo uh, in the last couple of weeks. Continue to strengthen her and bless this family to the praise of your glory. Father, we lift up to you uh, the Engelbrecht family. We thank you for Corey and Iona and for their faithful service to this church over many, many years and for their love toward one another and the example they set uh, for many years to this church and for the service that they have given um, and humility for the sake of our members. We pray, Father, that you would raise them up. Father, multiply your grace to them, exalt them, grant them all that they need for both body and soul as they prepare for their move uh, to Dallas. And Father, and we pray that you would continue to use these dear saints in, your, in the service of your kingdom, wherever, they, uh, wherever you lead them. Father, we thank you for the Sprangers, for Mike and Sue, and for John, Tommy, Danny, and Sarah. We thank you for their love and uh, participation in the body of Christ here at Providence and for their love for one another. We pray, Father, that you would continue to strengthen their love for one another, that they would continue to humble themselves before each other and look looking to the interests of others. We thank you for Mike, his service as a deacon, and we thank you for Sue and her service as a Sunday school teacher and for their children. We pray, Father, that you would uh, watch over them and bless them, keep their going out and their coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Father, fill our hearts with grace and compassion for the Springers that we might serve them in love. Father, we commit all of these things to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have the wonderful opportunity to give to the work of uh, the advancement of Christ's kingdom. May he be pleased to use our sacrifices for his glory. Amen. Amen.
would now turn in your hymnals to page 851, the Apostles' Creed in the very back, which we will recite together as a confession of our faith in the gospel. And friends, let's all stand together as we do so. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 380, crown him with many crowns, hymn 380.
Amen. Just a quick reminder, there's a hymnal in the back for Corey and Iona Engelbrecht for you to sign. Please uh, do so. Now, friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.